Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the attempted murder case involving the conspirators Diana Lovejoy, and Weldon McDavid. So first I'll take a look at the timeline of the crime, then I'll move to my analysis. This case takes place in Carlsbad, California. The story starts with a couple who were married in 2007. A husband, Greg Mulvihill, is a computer programmer, and a wife, Diana Lovejoy, a fitness instructor and triathlete. The couple tried to have children, They had eight miscarriages before Diana gave birth to their son. The stress of the miscarriages was difficult for the couple to bear. The animosity started to build between them. They sought marriage counseling to try to improve their relationship, but ultimately the relationship disintegrated. The couple separated in June of 2014 and started a two-year battle over issues like custody, child support, and alimony. Diana made a claim of sexual abuse against Greg saying that he offended against her and their son. He was ordered to move out of the family home. He ended up sleeping in his car. An investigation concluded that Diana's allegations were false. The couple entered into an agreement. Diana needed to pay Greg $120,000, and custody was to be shared. It was going to be 50-50. Diana was furious, even though she actually agreed to the terms. She did not want to pay Greg any money, and she wanted full custody. In November of 2015, Diana started a sexual relationship with a firearm instructor named Weldon McDavid. On December 25, 2015, so this would be Christmas Day, Diana met with her aunt at a restaurant. She asked her aunt if she could help her find somebody to kill Greg. Her aunt said she didn't know anybody. In August of 2016, Diana and Weldon conspired to kill Greg. Diana paid him $1,000 and promised him another $1,000 after the job was done. I guess he was like a discount hitman. On September 1, 2016, just before 11 p.m., Greg received a telephone call from a number he did not recognize. The caller was Weldon McDavid, but of course Greg did not know that. Weldon told Greg he was a private investigator. Over the course of a few calls made by Weldon to Greg, we see that Weldon communicates 
that he was willing to provide Greg valuable information that could be used in his upcoming divorce and custody dispute. Weldon specified a location where Greg could find this information. If Greg liked it, he could buy it. Greg was to go to this dark, remote location near Rancho Santa Fe Road to find this information. Greg called the police non-emergency number and told the dispatcher about the call. He wanted to know if this was unusual. The dispatcher said, maybe a little unusual, but did not appear to be concerned. I wonder what type of experiences this dispatcher had where they would say this is only a little unusual. Seems like that would be quite a bit unusual. After another call from Weldon, Greg decided to make the trip. He brought a friend of his with him named Jason. Greg was carrying a bicycle flashlight. Jason was carrying what the police referred to as a mini bat. I guess it's like if you want to defend yourself, but not too much, right? Instead of carrying a normal bat, you carry a mini bat. After arriving, Greg and Jason started looking for a package of documents taped to a power pole as per Weldon's instructions. Greg was shining the flashlight around when he heard a noise and directed the flashlight toward it. He saw a man in the prone position holding a rifle. Shots rang out. Greg was hit once in the chest. Seven shots were fired altogether. Greg and Jason started running. Jason called 911. Greg was taken to the hospital, underwent surgery, and would recover. The police visited Diana Lovejoy at her residence at 3 a.m. When they told her what happened, this sniper-like figure attacked Greg, she giggled. The police didn't necessarily think too much of this, but then they learned that Diana had recently purchased a cell phone whose number matched the one they called Greg. Diana initially denied involvement, but after the police told her that they knew about the phone, her story changed. Now she was saying that she hired Weldon McDavid for $1,000 to scare Greg into giving up his custody rights, and she also had sex with Weldon a few times. The police interviewed Weldon. During the interview with the police, Weldon denied any knowledge of the crime. He claimed that he was at home during the night of the shooting, but he would not provide his phone to the police. He was not offering them a way to prove that. The police told him that they had his DNA from one of two towels left at the crime scene. Here we see Weldon starts to change his story. He said he might have been there. Then he remembered that he was there. He told them about how he heard the call of nature and had to make a deposit, so to speak. He used the towel like toilet paper. The police asked him where the towels came from. Weldon said he just saw them there. I guess they were like free-range towels, or perhaps wild towels. As it turns out, the towels were not wild. They, in fact, matched a set at Diana's residence. The police searched Weldon's residence as well and found the rifle that was used to shoot Greg. Diana and Weldon were charged with premeditated attempted murder and conspiracy to commit murder. They were tried together. Other than the plans that Diana and Weldon had already talked about, at the trial we find out a little bit more. For example, the towels that were found at the scene were placed there deliberately by Weldon. He thought that Greg would recognize those items as belonging to his son and realize the caller had access to his son. So bringing property of the person who ordered the murder to the crime scene was a good idea as far as Weldon was concerned. Diana did not testify in her defense. Weldon did testify. 
Both Diana and Weldon were found guilty of premeditated attempted murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Diana was sentenced to 26 years to life, eligible for parole in 2036. Weldon was given 50 years to life. Now moving to my analysis. First, I will focus my analysis on Weldon, then talk about Diana. During the trial, Weldon tried to say the whole idea behind the plot was that if Greg came out to that rural location, it must mean that Greg was guilty of something, which could be used against him in the divorce. Right? So that's how Weldon was trying to frame this, that they were just trying to set Greg up. He would go out there, he would be looking for these documents that he could use in the dispute, and that somehow would prove that he was guilty or a bad guy or whatever. Weldon claimed that he meant to record Greg, but then he realized that if he turned the light on, on his cell phone, Greg would see that. So he didn't really think through this plan of recording Greg. Interestingly, Weldon also admitted that he had searched the internet to find a day when there was a new moon, when it would be the darkest out there. So he knew he needed light to record Greg, but he looked for the darkest night. Weldon claimed that he only started shooting Greg after Greg saw him and said hello, and then said, I've got a gun. Weldon claimed he was only trying to shoot the flashlight out of Greg's hand, believing it was a gun. He said after firing the first shot, he fired six other shots in the air and stopped once Greg and Jason started running away. He claimed he was too good to miss. If he wanted Greg and Jason dead, they would have been dead. A witness even testified about how Weldon was a good marksman. I find this interesting because no matter how one interprets the story, Weldon did miss. If he was really trying to shoot the flashlight, well, he missed. He shot Greg in the chest. If he was really trying to kill Greg, again, his shot was not effective enough to do that. A major focus of his testimony was this idea that he was an incredible shot. The fact that he missed demonstrated a lack of intent. That's what he claimed. Weldon would say, I had no intent to kill. That's not who I am. I realize the defense did not have a lot of options in this case. After all, Weldon McDavid appeared to gather his criminal inspiration from Elmer Fudd and the Mad Pooper. Both references were known to have poor marksmanship, so to speak. As far as his efforts to convince the jury that he was a good shot, I was starting to wonder if perhaps Weldon, realizing that prison was inevitable, just wanted to make sure he preserved his chances of getting in the prison gun club. Like he didn't want to admit he was a terrible shot. They might not let him in. There's something else I found curious about Weldon's statements after his conviction. He talked about how he regretted having an affair. Essentially, he was implying that his affair with Diana was unsatisfying. He didn't talk about having any regrets about the attempted murder. Again, he denied that. But selecting Diana as a sexual partner was a disappointment. Like the lesson to be learned from what happened to him is don't have an affair. That's one lesson. Not trying to murder people would be another one that he didn't mention. I guess this is a way of expressing some type of remorse without admitting guilt. Like he could tell the judge, hey, at least I'm sorry for something. Now switching over to Diana. As I mentioned, she did not testify in her own defense at the trial. After she was convicted, she said she hoped the higher reality of what we intended to do comes out. And I believe it will someday. I'm not sure what she means by higher reality. Is that the reality where she hired a hitman for $2,000 and received the quality for which she paid? 
There was one other notable occurrence at the trial, as far as Diana. After the verdict was read, she either fainted or pretended to faint. Her head slammed into the desk, and then her body went back in the chair. She was rigid. She was taken from the courtroom to a hospital. The banging of her head into the desk led some people to believe that she truly fainted and she was not faking it. I'm not sure if she really fainted or not. Sometimes people do faint when they're surprised, but it's hard to believe that she would be surprised by the verdict. If she was found not guilty and fainted, that would have been a lot more believable. Either way, I think it would have been interesting to hear her conversation with the hospital staff after she was transported there. Like they would say to her, have you been under any stress lately? And she would say, well, I was just convicted of attempted murder. And they would answer, well, that explains it. Final thoughts on this case. This case must rank among the most inept criminal conspiracies. It's unbelievable what they were trying to do here and just how inefficient they were. They were not good criminals. It's almost like a lesson for criminals on what not to do. I guess the lesson here could be getting involved in a murder for hire is taking one perceived relational problem and transforming it into a giant real legal problem. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.